Well, this morning, if I were to tell you uh, that you matter, have you heard that before? Somebody tell you that? Um, I don't just mean you matter to me, but if I were to just say in general, you matter, what does that do to you? Like, what does that uh, drum up inside of you? Uh, I, think, I think often we have kind of two responses to that. Uh, maybe there's more than two, but I think I two responses. I think one response is dangerous, and the other response is worse. So let me share with you what I, what I mean. Is often when, if we say you matter, there might be a segment of people who say, no, I don't. I don't matter. I'm not a value. I don't have any worth. I don't believe you when you say that. Either I don't matter to you or I don't matter in general. However they're answering it, their response to that is, I don't matter. I don't have value. And we all know somebody who would respond that way. You may be in a place in your life right now where you have a tendency to respond in that way. It's a dangerous place to be. When we don't matter, when we don't have value, when we don't have worth, like, where do we go from there? And it's why people sometimes get into rough things in their life or why people even take their lives, answering, answering that way or responding that way a dangerous way, a way that in the church world, we want to say, it's not true. You matter deeply. You matter deeply. But there's another way, and I think it's even worse. One's dangerous. One's even worse than that. It's this. You matter, and the response, okay, all right. Doesn't really mean anything to me either way. Like, yeah, okay, I matter. I don't, I don't really struggle with self-worth or anything, but you know, whether I matter or not doesn't really do anything for me. When I say you matter to God, it doesn't like drum up anything inside. You're like, oh, all right, well, that's, that's fine. I mean, good for God, you know, that I, I matter to him. But it doesn't really do anything for us. Like, it hasn't captivated us the idea that you matter to somebody else, or you matter to your parents, or you matter to a friend, or a coworker, or a boss, or even more importantly, that you matter to God. It doesn't quite do anything for us. Why? Well, I don't know. There could be several reasons why. We don't have time to explore them all. It could be that we live in such a little selfish bubble, um, which we're all prone to get there, right? So nobody's putting anyone else down. We all find our way there sometimes where our, kind of our focus is wrapped around ourselves so we, it just doesn't do anything for us. But here's the struggle, I think when we don't respond with you matter with, man, that means something to me. Like that changes how I think about myself and I think about the world around me. It's very hard to get to the point to be where God really has designed us to be or the person he has designed us to be. In fact, in our society, let's look a little bit more. We typically base our self-worth off four things. I put it in your notes this morning. There's four things that we typically... Now, I'm not sure this is exhaustive, but there's typically four things. One is appearance, right? Now, we wouldn't argue with that. We would say appearance. It's a billions upon billions upon billions of dollar industry to help you look better because you don't like how you look right now, right? If you take the hair coloring business alone... Billions of dollars because you simply don't like your hair color. Um, I look in the mirror sometimes and I go, I don't like that. <laughs> no. I think that's, that's not accurate of a young man like me. <laughs> so appearance would be one of those. 
I want to lose a few pounds, or I'd like this reshaped, I'd like this look a little different, you know, like I bought that shirt and I liked it in the store, but it hangs a little lower than I thought it did, so I need to buy a new one. Any kind of thing like that, we would put in the appearance category, and we let it often, if we're not careful, find its way into self-worth in our life. Achievement. Achievement would be. I mean, you've never seen somebody so confident the moment after they've achieved something. When they've achieved it. I remember, I've got this, this clear snapshot of my middle son, Thomas, who I still call TC, but you're not allowed to. Um, but he started playing soccer at like three years old. Was that three years old? And he was bigger than the other kids on the team. So I don't want to say he was dribbling the ball down the field and running past them. He was more bowling them over as he was headed to the goal, not quite realizing there was anybody else even there. Uh, but I remember when he scored his first goal. Like, I mean, we're parents just like you, and we're just like, nah, he scored a goal. You know, we're cheering and going crazy. We think we got the next Pele or something uh, over here. And I have this snapshot in my head of him turning and seeing us cheering for him. Like, he doesn't know what's going on, really. Um, he kicked a goal, and we're cheering. But this little snapshot, and I would interpret, if a picture's worth a thousand words, I won't use a thousand, as this pure contentment that we were cheering for something he just did. So achievement will do this. We feel this self-worth, approval, all right? You're not quite sure? Somebody comes along and says, you're doing a great job. And we're like, oh, man, I'm important. I feel valued. Um, I don't even need to know if the person is true or not. You know, Just tell me I'm doing a good job. Every once in a while, we joke in our house and say, I, I can't trust you. You're an encourager, so I can't trust you. <laughs> Meaning, I may have not done good there, but you're an encourager. You have that gift. Um, but approval, we're looking for that type of approval. We're looking for somebody to build us up, to confirm us, sometimes to justify us, approval. And then finally, um, affluence. And basically, we're, we're talking about resources, maybe dollars. This plays with the appearance one pretty close because affluence often gives you the opportunity for appearance, get in the right neighborhood, get in the right school, the right look, wh whatever. Affluence would be one. And we often judge ourselves by this. Can I tell you one for us? Pastor Anson knows this. We go to these conferences, and when somebody's introduced to speak or introduced to come up and, I don't know, give announcements or something, you know, they're compelled to preface it by saying, and the leader of one of the fastest growing churches in the nation, you know, leaders of a church of 16, you know, that, that kind of thing where, you know, it's easy for us out there to say, we have this wonderful small church called Windover Hills, the best on Joy Drive, best church on Joy Drive right? The best church here, and yet we're like shrinking in our chair, feeling like, you know, no value, no value here. All of these things can play into it, this list of four A's. But here's the thing. The greatest changes in our life, or the greatest direction, if you want to call it, in our lives, takes place when we see ourselves as God sees us. The best compass that will say, do this, don't do that, be this, don't be that, is when you and I see ourselves the way God sees us. Listen, for you, that may be just 100% Christian church cliche. He's a pastor, he's supposed to say that, right? That's their form of self-help, by saying something like that. Oh, I believe it 100%. When we truly see ourselves the way God sees us, 
that will direct us in a way in life that nothing else can lead us and direct us. So you can see why I say it's worse than dangerous to hear, see yourself as God sees you, you're of great value. Oh, okay, whatever, that's fine. Because I think it shapes and directs our life incredibly. Listen, we, we know how God sees us through how? We know how by how Jesus sees other people and interacts with other people in the Gospels. This gives us a definition of how God sees us. So here's what I want you to do this morning. We're going to look at a, a story. It's in Luke chapter 19. It's nine verses long. Chances are, if you've hung out in the church world at all, you know this story. You, in fact, you don't even have to have hung out in the church world, and you probably know this story. It's a story of a tax collector who appeared to be a short person, who is intrigued by the idea of Jesus coming to town all the way to the point that he was willing to climb up to the highest place that he was capable of so that he could just simply get a glimpse of Jesus. It's the story of Zacchaeus. It's in Luke 19. I want to walk through this, and I want to share just a couple things that comes out, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to put yourself in the story. Now, chances are you're not a tax collector, um, Chances are you're not a wee little person. I mean, I'm looking around. Everybody's, you know, I mean, I don't know how tall Zacchaeus is. Maybe we all are. Um, and there's probably no sycamore tree around that you're going to climb up into. Uh, but you can find a way to put yourself in this story. And I'll show you how as we're walking through it. Let me give you the first four verses that set the story. Uh, chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus was going through the city of Jericho. Nothing new here. Jesus went and visited cities all the time. So he's coming through this, this city, and a man was there named Zacchaeus, who was a very important tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, understand this. You may know this, but let me give you a little background. Um, the Roman government would come in, and in, in this area, they would basically appoint in a lot of places, they would appoint Jewish people to collect taxes on the Jewish people. For them, it was the right strategy to come in and to put some one of their own people in charge. In fact, if they could kind of turn the sentiment of people, um, that was one of their tactics. Well, it didn't go very well. In fact, all of these tax collectors, these Jewish tax collectors working for the Roman government were hated. They were hated. Now, you talk about the IRS probably sometimes right now because your taxes are due on Tuesday. Did you know that? Get them in the mail, 5 o'clock Tuesday. Um, but nothing like they would talk about it. Nothing like they would look at this. On top of it, uh, those who were appointed were allowed this loophole, if you want to call it, this, this ability to upcharge to whatever standard they want. As long as they turned in to the Roman government what they were supposed to turn in, they could then do whatever they would like on top of that for their own wage. And as you might suspect, some were a little more ambitious than others. And seemingly, Zacchaeus was one of those. Very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because he was too short to see above the crowd. Remember when you took your kids to the baseball game when they were real little, you know? You made the mistake of sitting on the first level, which is slanted like this. You should have been on the second level, slanted like this. Kids couldn't quite see. Um, that same way, Zacchaeus can't see. He climbs up in a tree. Uh, he ran ahead, excuse me, to the place where Jesus would come, and he climbs a sycamore tree so he could see him. Does a little homework, right? Puts a little effort into this to know exactly where Jesus is coming. 
Here's the first thing I want you to notice, and I want to share a verse, verse 5, three different times, because all three times I think it hits us as significant to this. The first thing is no matter how insignificant you feel, Jesus notices you. Do you like to be noticed? I, I bet you do. I bet if you just in your head said, no, nah, I'm good, I'm fine. Here's what I'll do, social experiment. For the next few weeks, keep coming to church, but I will instruct everyone to ignore you. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how that feels. Um, I, I would guess you would say, I don't like that. I don't like going unnoticed. None of us quite like that. In fact, in the business world, a lot of times, employees will say this. They don't have to do my opinion, but I want to be asked. What are they saying? I would like to just feel like I have a voice and I'm being heard. They don't have to do everything I say. Because frankly, I mean, I'm the lead pastor here and everything I say comes out of my mouth is not good. And I'm thankful that I have people around me that says, hmm, that's one of your not good ideas. Um, so that's what, that's what they're basically saying. I want to be noticed. Take a look at how Jesus notices Zacchaeus. It's pretty simple. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. Come, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Jesus simply looked up. Listen, put yourself in the story and understand God sees you by how Jesus' interaction sees people, that God notices you, sees you. I mean, it's a crowd. Nobody would blame Jesus for just going on by. It's a busy crowd, lots of faces. You probably go through crowds. You don't stop and interact with everybody, do you? But here Jesus notices Zacchaeus here. He stops and sees him. And that's significant. In fact, for us, sometimes we might allow for the, the idea that God notices me. But here's what we think. God is only noticing me when good things are happening in my life. When bad things are happening, he must be gone and not noticing me. Maybe he's on his spring break trip, right? And he's not making a lunch for me that day. That's what we think. But that's our scale. Our scale does that all the time. We measure good things, bad things. That's how our scale works. So it's like God's with me. It's good when good things are happening. And if we were honest, probably after we say, thanks, God, for that, we move on and forget God altogether when the good things are happening. When the bad things are happening, we're like, I guess God's not even here. I don't even know where he's at. Why does he keep doing this to me? You know, what kind of God is this? Because our scale is good things, bad things, like that. God's scale is this, I'm with you. When it's going well with you, when you're rolling, you know, in, in good times, blessing, even if you forget that I'm the God that offered those, I'm with you. I'm here with you. When you're going through the bad times, and it's probably the worst times of your life, the deepest struggle, the times where you might even feel the most alone, I am with you to walk with you. That's God's scale. God knows where you're at 24 hours a day, and he has not forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's there because he notices you. He sees you. You're of significant value to him. Do you remember the little story in scripture about the sparrows? Does that ring a bell to anyone in here? It's only two verses long. I'll give you the gist of it. You're more valuable than the sparrows, right? That's the gist. But here's what you don't know about it, is when you, a, a deal was, was struck and we were trying to come and we're like, oh, we're so close on this deal. One of the things that they would throw in is sparrows to kind of even out the deal. 
we would say, well, that's a little weird because you've never offered a parakeet when you've made a deal with somebody. Um, so a bit more cultural and contextual. We don't have time to walk into to what all that is this morning. But in order to kind of flush out the deal, you throw in sparrows. Because listen, I don't know if you know, but, but there's times a year when, when kind of that common bird's flying around where I'm like, I'm just looking for a BB gun to take out a few. I'm not thinking of them as super valuable. They would use it to... <laughs> It's, it was just a metaphor. <laughs> Wind, <laughs> Wendy, don't call anyone on me, <laughs> Wendy. Uh, all right, we'll rewind. We'll, we'll cut that part out when we edit this down. Um, I don't even know where we were talking about. Birds, sparrows. They would even out the deal that way. I will throw in sparrows, and now we kind of have an equal deal to when we're just, we're close, but we're not quite there. And you know what God is saying is, you're not sparrows. You're not just the extra thrown in. You are so much more about, you're the deal. You're the prize thing in the deal. You're not the extra sparrows thrown in. So you're significant and God notices. Here's the second thing. No matter what others say, Jesus affirms me. He does. And listen, we're in a time, we are so politically charged in this, I mean, in the last few years, I don't know how many years, what time cap to put on it, but we are so politically charged in so many areas and there's a few like buzzwords that are thrown out there. When you use them, people immediately, oh, I'm over here, I'm over here kind of thing. Um, and affirm is one of those words. But let me just tell you in this story of Zacchaeus how Jesus affirms and what he does. Because there's no doubt that you matter, Zacchaeus mattered, and Jesus affirms him. Here's what it looks like. Take a look at our verse again, verse 5. When Jesus came down, he looked at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Now, the key in there is he is saying, I'm going to come to your home today. Now, in college, people would say, hey, what's your favorite Bible verse? You've ever been asked that question? You probably had something deep and meaningful. God knows the plans for your life and those type of things. I would say this verse, and then I would back it up by saying, see, it is biblical and from Jesus that you invite yourself over to somebody else's house for a meal. So, which sounded good in college to me, you know, that sounded great. I would pop into people's car and say, hey, where are we going for lunch? I'm just being like Jesus, okay? All right, don't knock me, just Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go be with you. Listen, I don't know how to help you understand this in Jesus' uh, religiously charged culture. Because when you looked at somebody like Zacchaeus, not only was he like, uh, uh, really, they would look at him and say, you're unclean, you're not holy. They would also say, like, you're a flat-out traitor to Jewish people. That's how they would look at it in his days. And Jesus is saying, of all these people in the crowd, of everyone I can choose... I'll take you, Zacchaeus. Let's go. We're going over to your house. We're hanging out. Like, do, do you understand that? It would be like this, is if, if somebody out there that you, you put your own tag on how bad you think they are, right? And I rejected all of you who many of you, most of you, 90% of you, I mean, have deep personal relationships for years built up with you. And I re rejected you to go spend time with them instead, a significant time. In fact, not only rejected you, but I mean, I flat out said, no, I'm not hanging out with you because I'm going to hang out with so-and-so. You might assume, you might say, oh, well, Tom 
loves the Lord and he wants to lead that person to Christ. Um, and probably, you know, that would be my heart. Uh, but throw that out because that's not what the religious leaders were thinking about what Jesus was doing. <laughs> All they thought is, he's hanging out with Zacchaeus? He's going over to Zacchaeus' house? You know what Jesus is affirming? He's affirming, or Jesus is affirming to Zacchaeus, you're, you're of great value because God created you. You're a human being. Take a look at, 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 at Ephesians chapter 20, uh, or excuse me, verse 2, uh, 10. Um, and we won't unpack the whole verse. There's too much there. But for we are God's masterpiece. We are created. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Now, there's a whole wonderful sermon just on the good things part we'll leave to the side. But you are his masterpiece. That he designed you and I. We're not like the animals. We're not like the other creation, the vegetation. We are a masterpiece. You got a few recipes you put together that you cook? Probably, right? But I'm guessing a box of Kraft mac and cheese is not your masterpiece, right? I mean, maybe it is, and good on you, right? But, uh, but you probably have that one or two recipe that you go like, well, I make this one from scratch, you know? Or I do this one, that this is grandma's way. I do, you know, like, like that's your thing. And your kids love it. Those who you make love it. Like if your kids are grown, you're writing down the recipe cards and, you know, that's like going in with the wedding gifts or whatever. I mean, like, like that's a masterpiece. That's how God looks at you and I. He said, you're not, like, you're not the shells and cheese. You, you're my masterpiece. And that's how he looks at Zacchaeus the same way. When Jesus affirms Zacchaeus, he, refer, he affirms him as part of his masterpiece, as part of his unique creation, the thing he revels in the most. You are part of that. You know, you're on a path in life, Zacchaeus, and Jesus is like, we're about to talk about it. But I look at you and I first say, I affirm you. You are masterpiece. Every person you run into on this planet those who line up with you in your ideology and those that don't. They are God's masterpiece. And God looks first at them that way and he affirms who he has created. That's what he's doing with Zacchaeus. That is the first thing that he will do with him. Psalm 27 uh, is, is a significant encouraging verse. Even if father and mother abandon me, some of you, I mean, you grew up that way. You understand that literally. The Lord will hold me close. Even when other, others call you names, Jesus calls you by name. Jesus is looking at you, and he's not looking and saying, this is what they're into right now. This is who they are right now. Jesus is saying, no, I'm looking at you as who I created. Almost looking in, and the word redemption comes in who you are, and who you can be in Christ and in God. That's how he looks, and that's how he affirms. That's the way Jesus affirms. Now, in our world, here's what we do. We affirm, and then we say, because I affirm, nothing ever needs to change. Nothing needs to be transformed. But Jesus says, oh, I love you way too much for that. Not only do I affirm you're my masterpiece in who you are, I can make you into something that God originally designed you to be. Your unique calling in life. 
Let's look at, verse, uh, at number three here, the rest of this, this chapter, or this uh, story. No matter what I've done, Jesus wants me. No matter what. Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come down, or quick, come down, I must be a guest at your house today. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to complain, Jesus is staying with a sinner? Now, you need to understand something. Um, if you were to go over to somebody's house today and they take their shoes off at the door, you know anyone, you know, like they take their shoes off, you probably see a pile of shoes at the door, and so what are you naturally going to do? You're going to take your shoes off. You probably don't look at them and goes, huh, kind of weird, and then move on, right? No, you understand exactly what's happening, and you take your shoes off as well. You're saying to that person's house, I'm in your home. I will do as you do. That's kind of what we do in our house. If you were to go over to somebody's house today, you probably don't walk right in and say, hey, thank you so much for inviting me. It's so nice. Take off your shoes, and then head to their pantry and open it up and look for things that you want. You know that's not the rules, but it goes even further here in, this Jew in Jewish culture. It wasn't just that he would go to Zacchaeus' house and then say, and Zacchaeus, how does your home operate? Do you want me to take his shoes off? What do you want? It's this. If you went to somebody's house, you were affirming them entirely. Like, it went deeper. Like, if you did not affirm them in their lifestyle and their job, which he was a tax collector, you do not go in their home. Because if you go in their home, you are stating to everyone outside of the home, I affirm this person and I, I am okay with what they're doing. Tax collector, no big deal. Upcharge, no big deal. I don't care. That's how they looked at Jesus and why Jesus, when Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house. And you know what Jesus is just saying the whole time? He's saying like, you're important, you're a value, I affirm, and I want you too. I want you, Zacchaeus. So I'm going to go in your home, and we're about to sit down and have a meal. We're going to have a conversation at the meal. I'd love to have heard that conversation. You probably do as well. And we're just going to see where this goes, Zacchaeus. And so Jesus goes in and does this. Why? Jesus is more interested in changing you than condemning you. But don't miss out on it. He is interested in changing you because you matter to him. You matter. And where you're at right now, he says, I, I don't affirm you and love you and matter and then want to just say, well, just stay where you're at. You know, you'll figure it out. He wants to change us, bring us along to what he's designed us to be. That's what Jesus is saying by going into his home, I want you. And so he says it to you as well. Not just, hey, love you, you know, have a good day. You, know, you ever hear people say that, you know, at the end of something, you know, love you, you know, and usually you hear that and go like, huh, do you, I mean, how much did that really relay love when you said that? Now, maybe they got a deep relationship and you don't question it. But, um, but Jesus is not just saying that. He is actually saying, and I want you. I want you to come out of the world you're currently living. I want you to be one of my followers. I want you to understand what I have to offer you. Why? Because you matter. You're my masterpiece. John 6 says it this way, however, those the Father has given will, uh, me will come to me, and listen to this, this is what we'll focus on, I will never reject them. You walked away five times, ten times, hundred times, I don't know how you are with people like that in my life, but I start, you know, the arm distance starts to get a little longer, um, I start to be a lot more cautious, right, 
And let's understand how we function as humans. We're not always sure how to discern and the wisdom. But thank goodness Jesus has perfect wisdom. And guess what he says? I won't reject you. Just I'll, I'll keep bringing you back. I'll keep bringing you back. I'll keep bringing you back here. I want you. I want you. I love you. You're my masterpiece. So no matter what you've done, you'll never lose your value to God. You'll never lose that, whatever it looks like. So how should we respond to this would be the question. There's just a couple ways. It shows up in the passage. We don't have to, you know, like try to be creative to create anything. It's right there. First thing, he got out of the tree. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus came right on down. I mean, this is a guy who knows I am not following any ways that the religious leaders say I should follow. And here is a rabbi, you know, a teacher who is inviting me down. And Jesus, he's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll come on down. The passage does not tell us at the beginning that he got up in the tree to see Jesus because he wanted Jesus to come to his house that day. I am positive he did not clean up his house expecting Jesus to be there that day. But he responded, yes. Yeah. I feel, I feel Jesus, you calling me. I feel you speaking to me. And how do you respond to that? Go to him. You come to church on a Sunday morning and you walk away going like, man, I just really feel like God was moving. God was doing something. God was speaking to me. What are you going to do about it? Go to him. Go near him. Let him define that more. Go say, what do I need to hear from you, God? What do I need to do with it today, God? But go to him as, as Zacchaeus did. I've got a, a guy I work out with um, just about every morning he's there. Young guy. I turned 50 this year, so they all look like young guys now. Oh, um, but I work out. I mean, he's the best. I just, I just enjoy working out with him every day, you know, because I am older, and I can't quite keep up. Um, and yet, he, I mean, he treats me like a peer. So, you know, um, you know it's like you're, he's, you know, I'm like buds, you know, with, with this young guy. You know, somebody comes along that's 51, I'd be like, you know, beat it, you old person. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> those youngins are hanging out and working. No, anyhow. But he comes to me and he says, hey, you be up for hitting lunch, having lunch together. And I'm like, yeah. And he works Friday through Sunday. That's his shift, Friday through Sunday every week. So uh, Monday through Thursday is wide open. So I said, yeah, let's get together. So we did this past week. I don't know what he wants to talk about, you know, just hang out. Um, I'm thinking, well, maybe he'll say, oh, we got marriage things or, oh, we've got, you know, uh, whatever. You're a pastor. Give me advice. That's what I was thinking. But he said, I just... I need to know, how do I grow in my Christian walk? And I'm like, man, I'm just, you know, it took me a, a minute to kind of gather myself there at, at Kava and, and just say, man, I'm so glad that, that you asked that. That means you have heard Jesus is speaking to you and calling you, and you're doing something with it. And so we had an hour lunch and, and a good time um, there. Um, I suggested uh, that we meet for a burger, and he said Kava, and I thought, oh, I got to remember this with gym people. I can't. I can't be saying burgers and making it look like I don't always eat healthy. But, um, but I was so glad that he said, I'm, I, I heard Jesus. And I say, respond to it. And so we talked about how to do that. That's one way. The response of Zacchaeus, though, is with his heart and it's with his action. Take a look at what else happened. He comes out of the conversation with Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I will get now, any math people in here. I mean, like you love math or you were good at math. Yeah, some of, some of you weirdos are in here. Yeah, uh, 
all right, have you done the math on this? Because us non-math, we just hear these things and goes, oh, whatever, sounds like a lot. Um, Zacchaeus says, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. So I'm going to start, I'm going to give half of everything to the poor. So I only have half left, all right? And if I cheated anyone, uh, he did, right? I will pay back four times more. So of my half I have left, I will pay back now four times what I cheated everyone is. Uh, again, math people, I don't know how that works. You can draw me an equation later uh, on that. But I mean, he is all in on this, all in. Whatever happened in that room, he comes out and saying, I'm giving this to the poor and I am, I am going forward by reimbursing those who I have harmed. And how does Jesus look at this? How does Jesus define what has just happened? He says this, salvation has come to this house today. Salvation. Because Zacchaeus said, said, Jesus, I receive you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I want to live with you for the rest. I don't think he said a prayer like that at all. He simply said, I have been wrong in what I've done, and I cannot live that way anymore. That does not honor people. That does not honor you, God. I'm not going to live that way. I'm moving forward and letting you change me. And Jesus calls it salvation. You have been saved. You've been drawn out of the way you've been living. You've been drawn out of what has been your king and your God and your central thing. You've been drawn out to see something new. So how do you respond? When you have value with God, you respond and say, God, what next? What next? What do you want to do in me next? Because of the way you look at me, what do you want? What do you want? What's next? And you let God lead you into what's next and how he wants to change you. Well, I'm going to pray for you on this. Um, uh, this is a topic that's deeply personal. Uh, in fact, if you were to go, we can't really go into Christian bookstores anymore, right? They've all closed down. But, um, but if you look at Christian bookstores and you look at women's studies in bookstores, right? Have you ever done this? Um, well, ladies, um, you will notice if you look past the fancy titles and the covers and stuff, 90 to 95% of them have to do with identity, image identity. But wait a second, men, go look at ours. You might have to look a little deeper through the covers and stuff, but guess what most of our studies are there, men's studies? They are identity. They are image-based. We struggle with this. We struggle. But the bottom line is what we said, the greatest changes in our lives take place when we see God as God sees us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this story that's familiar. For some, they learned it in Sunday school way, way, way long ago. But Father, this is still impactful to us today. So Father, would we first, would no one walk out of here not knowing they are of significant value? Father, I want to pray for the first response. Those who are saying, I have no value, if they would respond that way. Father, this morning, would, would at very least... Would your Holy Spirit outpour on them at this moment that they could not walk out of here at very least saying, I've been wrong in that. I do have value. They may say, I don't know what it all means yet, but I've been wrong. I've been, I've, I've been listening to a lie that I don't have any value. May your Holy Spirit speak to them on that right here as we're talking. And then, Father, for the second group, probably the bigger group that responds, eh, whatever. Oh, Father, could you, uh, could you help us this morning could you re-lead us to just fall in love with this concept that we build everything in this Christian faith 
off the idea that we have value in you. So, Father, lead us and guide us in this, this week, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.